This episode is sponsored by Hired.com. Hired.com is offering a new freelancing and contracting offering. They have multiple companies that will provide you with contract opportunities. They cover all the tracking, reporting, and billing for you. They handle all the collections and pre-fund your paycheck. They offer legal, accounting, and tax support. And they'll give you $1,000 when you've been on a contract for 90 days. But with this link, they'll double it to $2,000 instead. Go sign up at Hired.com slash Freelancer Show. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 227 of The Freelancer Show. This week on our panel, we have Reuven Lerner. Hi, everyone. Philip Morgan. Hello, hello. Jonathan Stark. Hello. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv, and this week we have a special guest, and that's Anna Sabramovich. I hope I got close. Hello. Yes, that was perfect. Thank you. Glad to be here. Do you want to give us an introduction really quickly, who you are, what you do? Yeah, I'm an instructional designer and strategist. So basically what I do is I get into the minds of masters and subject matter experts in their field, and then I help them pull out all those juicy details into awesome courses online. Uh, But I don't know anything. I'm sure you get that all the time, right? Actually, yeah. A lot of people think that they don't have special expertise or who are they to uh, claim to be experts in anything, but Um, I think you'd be surprised when you dig a little bit to see how much people acquire over the years and their special processes that could help others. Well, wait, let let, let me actually ask like a question before the who me, which is is the who you. No, no, which which is the presumably putting together an online course is a lot of time, a lot of effort, probably even some money. And I know this is somewhat of a rhetorical question, but is it really worth my while financially? Like, is the investment going to pay off in doing an online course? How much money can I really expect to make? Oh, oh, well, there you go. I'm convinced now. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, all right. You could say that about any venture, really, saying is this, it's a product, right? Is it going to make you money? But I feel like if you're solving enough of a problem and that problem is something that somebody would enjoy seeing solved from your perspective, then why not? Yes, of course, you do some testing. But more times than others, I think there's a lot more things um, in people's heads that really should be out there getting consumed and uh, applied by other people that it's, it's just not happening enough as far as I'm concerned, because we all have a million different ways of, of approaching problems. So yeah, I, I mean, if, is it going to make you money? I don't know. Um, but I feel like if you do enough testing and enough people resonate with that message, then yeah, you'll make enough money and then you can just put out another course. <laughs> yeah. One, one thing that I see over and over again with people who author books and people who put together these kinds of online courses and other things is that they get the book done and they kind of, you know, dust their hands off and they're like, yeah, I did it. And then they realize that they still have the other 80% of the work, which is the marketing. And so, yeah, I mean, if you do your job ahead of time and find out that there's a need, you know, that makes the marketing easier, but yeah, it's, it's selling it that from what I understand is much more of the work. It is. I've been there. I've failed there. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so I know, it's, you know, you're like, this is it. I'm going to release it and become a multimillionaire. I, I did all the calculations. Like if this many people buy, I can retire. <laughs> I did it. Oh, I did. I'm serious. Feel so good already. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's uh, like exactly like you said, you can't just put out a book. Yes, that's really impressive. Uh, but um, that's an accomplishment in itself. And it gives you some credibility. But as we know, a book will not sell itself. You really have to do some work and the hustle begins way before you even start writing, right? So right. it's the same It's the same with your online course. 
Now, we've done a whole bunch of episodes on asking good questions and finding the pain because that's how you ultimately, as a mm-hmm. service provider, make money too. So I kind of want to skip that and come back to it if we have time. I'd really like to dig into kind of the nuts and bolts of this. And first of all, I, I just like to start out with, okay, so I know there's this pain, but how do you come up with what to put into the course? How do you know exactly you know, what things to put in and what to leave out? Well, that's where people who are true experts versus people who don't really know what they're doing, that's where the uh, the distinction happens. Because when you talk to somebody who is an expert, I mean, there's this point where you become so good at what you're doing that it becomes automatic. So you almost forget you have the curse of knowledge, right? You forget all the experiences you needed to acquire to actually get to your level of expertise, all the pain points. So what happens is at that point, it's, I feel that's where I step in. You need a novice, right? You need somebody who is a novice at your subject matter expertise, but is good at drawing out those details from you. They'll ask you, where do people mess up? What is somebody who's an expert versus somebody who's not an expert? Where that, how do they differ? How can you observe their behavior? How can you observe the actions they, they perform that actually show you that this person is an expert? And a lot of the times I end up doing that. I observe somebody do something and I'll say, well, how do you know how to do this? Or what makes you do it this way? So it is a lot of questioning, but it is also having somebody else there because sometimes you can't necessarily ask yourself the right questions. I'm going to jump in here because you actually gave us a few discussion points. And uh, the first one is the one that I'm really interested in. And I'm just going to read this because I thought it was really It made me think a little bit. It says, if you have a process you repeat over and over and it produces consistent results for you, this is the time to create your course. So you can teach Mm -hmm. other people how to apply your process to solve their own problems. Regardless Mm -hmm. of whether you're solving big or small problems, you are a closet genius or have stumbled on a winning formula. (laughs) And you need to know the common mistakes to avoid before you invest huge amounts of time and energy into developing your course. So, I mean... Yeah, it made me think, okay, what are the things that I'm doing over and over and over again that give me consistent results? And, you know, who are the people that are going to care about that? And it goes back to the question I asked initially where it was, well, I don't know anything, but I'm doing some of these things every day. (laughs) And so how do I I identify those areas as this is a skill I have, I get consistent results, and somebody's going to care if I put a course together about it? Well, then the, what are those results, right? If, if your results are, I, I consistently get, you know, 50 people to sign up to my newsletter every day, that may not resonate with everybody, but that may resonate with people who get no signups, right? So figure out what those things are that are working for you and say, do others want to know this? Like maybe I make a wicked lasagna and people are saying that's the best lasagna I've ever had. How do you do that? So you'd have to maybe just have a conversation with somebody or potential students, what are those things that are winning for you that you're like, ah, I rock at this. I wonder if other people would enjoy learning how to rock at this too. You so, know, people really do rave about my lasagna and I'm not kidding. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, it's, it's funny because, you know, both of those things are things that I think are generally true of what I'm doing. You know, I make a mean lasagna and I have, you know, 30 to 50 people signing up for my email list every day. Excellent. So, See those, but, but, but I didn't even great. think of that as, oh, we'll do this and you'll get people. Yeah. And the other thing is that like, because you're, you know, when you come to the point where everything becomes effortless, not everything, but a lot of things in business, you, you start taking those things for granted. So I think just figuring that out 
what are the small things that you wish you knew before you started? That would be awesome. But in order for me to have this aha moment, you had to say it. So do I hire Anna or is there another way uh, that's maybe a little bit more cost effective for me to identify this? Well, optimally, yes, you'd hire me. I'm never going to say no. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> hello. <laughs> but uh, there is an inventory that you'd ask. And actually, I, I have a, a course on this if you want to do this yourself, because you should at least have that mindset of what kind of questions should I be asking myself? So, yeah, there's an inventory um, that you can look at. And it's actually right on my site. And it's a nine lesson course email that just kind of breaks down the process for you a little bit. Sorry, if I want to do like a course, first of all, when you talk about courses, are you talking about email courses? Are you talking about video? Are you talking about print? Are you talking about live? What's, what's the best way or what are some of the ways that people approach this for different problems? Well, really, one of the things depends on how much time you want to invest in your budget. But I feel like you could start very, very simply with email right? Test it out with email. And one of the challenges is, um, and I've come, I've been there myself, is that you end up doing a lot of telling in email. And it's hard to to step back and say, how can I have people apply? How can I ask people to start doing things and testing things the way that will help them learn these strategies? So yeah, you can start. I mean, I've started with email. I've done a huge video course and <laughs> that was a lot of work, but it, it really depends on, on your budget. And, and first start small, right? You can start very small and have people, if they see action uh, take place and they can see application, then they'll go for it. It, it doesn't matter even which format it is, as long as they can, they see the value in it. That's interesting so because in the pre-show I was picturing, I guess it's my default typical online learning thing with like, uh, you know, you're in module three, section one, and there's like a video that goes along with it. But you're thinking much more broadly, which is not what I was expecting, but very refreshing because I was, I think, a little bit like Ruben was thinking, geez, this is this sounds great. But, you know, I've I've participated in really big, professionally done video courses that totally flopped. And I, I know other people who just like were really excited about a topic, did zero market research and spent a month putting together a, <laughs> a video course that got exactly zero sales. So I was like, that, you know, I think Chuck asked earlier, it's that risk thing, you know, how do I mitigate that risk? And starting with email course, is just a, a absolutely fantastic answer to that because you can, I, I, I just love email because it's inherently two-way and it has a sense of privacy. So it's not like comments on your blog necessarily. Yes. You can have a conversation asynchronously with a large group of people, but still retain the scalability of email and, you know, of, of the web in general. So that's a really good tip. And, you know, the other thing is that, okay, I, I have a course that is a huge video course that I invested, I kid you not, a year of my time, a year of my time to put it out. It's, uh, it was insane. But anyways, the, the thing with a video course versus an email course is that people are more likely to give you good feedback and honest feedback via email and those little nuggets that you share versus a course that's online, looks published and you know, it's like, there's a different, it's a barrier there between that. Like you just said, that communication, it's less intimate. So your feedback becomes a little more like, yay, I liked it. And you're like, did you really, you know, you only went through half of it. So 
starting with the email course has been a huge eye opener for me personally, because I started out with going full on, full out. <laughs> so an email course is not just sort of a good thing in and of itself. And I have a bunch of email courses and, and by the way, I'm just going to echo what you say, which is I've been writing for Living Journal for 20 years. And mm-hmm. I think I get more mail back from people from every message I put out in my email courses than I do like per year of my column. <laughs> like, yeah, right? like people <laughs> respond, people are excited, people give feedback, and it is the best feeling in the world to get that feedback from them. And then like they give you more ideas for more things. But it sounds like you're even suggesting that an email course is sort of a good first step. If I'm not sure what direction to go in with a regular course, an email course that provides me with a quick, low budget, easy to put together something that I'll get feedback from people and I can see which direction is really going to be helping them. Oh, totally. And you can, I mean, you can put unlisted videos on YouTube and embed them if you really want to start testing that out. And I say start testing that out ASAP to getting comfortable in front of the camera if you want to connect with people. So yeah, there's, there's so much you can do. And I wish I'd started that way. I really, really do. But you know, whatever. Hindsight's twenty twenty. <laughs> So to be clear, we're talking about like a paid email course delivered over email, right? Yes, but I do that after I ran a little free one too, just to see if people resonate with that message, with that product. And a lot of times you're testing activities. Like I find if you really want to teach people something, right, you have to have them apply. And then if they get the results, that's even better for your course because you can say people did get results from my course. So I think sometimes we're like, what could somebody do to apply this? And some ideas are just better tested before they're actually launched. So it's better to see if people will find your activities, application activities actually realistic. I love that. I love that idea. Mm-hmm. I'm just amazed by this idea of a paid email course. Like I always think email <laughs> courses must be free. Like, why did I think of this before? So how much can you charge for an email course? How long can they be? I know the answer is it depends, but give me some like, you're looking, for, you're looking for certainty, right? I can't give you that certainty. Everybody says, how long should it be? That's that's a really common question. You know what? As long as it takes for somebody to get like the value and prove to you that they've gained mastery or improved their skill set enough uh, to feel more confident. So your course could be three emails where they apply a process over three steps and iterate on it, or it could be 25 emails where they take smaller steps and take time to think and maybe apply in their own world and then come back to you and then do something else. So it's actually better to, to probably do it fast and dirty and then see what happens. And is it okay to do one for free and then say, okay, now, now that I've gotten feedback and people seem to like it, you know, from now on, it's going to be for pay. I say there's no rules. I say you can do whatever you want. As long as you know, you've shown that there's value, why not? Why not? Nobody's questioning that. I think that should be considering people pay like four or $500 to show up to a course in university that has zero real application value in the real world, then why not? <laughs> right. I mean, realistically, that's, that's the truth. I know. Cause I built some of them. Um, <laughs> so you know what? I mean, I don't think there's any rules. I think that if you could show value, you can charge for that value. You can't tell me there are no rules. You never know what you're going to get. <laughs> I like that. I like that. You've mentioned a couple of times, or you sort of tangentially referred to adherence. Can you talk a little bit about over the years, have you 
come up with tactics that will help people stick to what they say they're going to stick to instead of, or, you know what I mean? Like people's like, Oh, something must be done. I'll spend 150 bucks for this course. And now I feel like I've done something and then they never even crack it open. I, I know I've done this. Is oh, there, <laughs> is there kind of best practices for trying to minimize that? Cause as a creator, it feels very cynical almost to put something out for money when you know no one's going to do it. You know, it's like, I know through my coaching program that people need their hand held one-on-one to really move the needle on this. And it takes an extremely rare individual to be sort of self-directed enough to just sit down with a video course and actually do it. Yes. Oh my. So once in a while I'll have a student like this and they'll just go through every single every single worksheet, every single uh, video, they will apply everything. At the end, I'll get feedback. And I'm thinking, how can I replicate you? Because you make me, you validate me. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) And I I actually go to LinkedIn and I give those people like serious kudos and recommendations for being such a stickler and just persevering because they're rare, right? They're rare. Mm -hmm. And I feel like one of the things that Considering the fact that, you know, you sign up for things and you're like, oh, yeah, that was great. I have signed up for 10 Coursera courses and uh, I, I start them and then I don't complete them. Right. There's nothing there's nothing at stake for me to finish them or I buy them and whatever. And then I don't finish them. But there are small things that you can do to keep up people's momentum, like those achievable little pieces. And I feel like when you have those built in, like little check ins and small wins, those tiny wins that increases the propensity of somebody wanting to finish it. And you know what? Actually, one of the things that I found works really well is you get statistics on who's going through your course. If somebody slows down for a day, I'll email them. I'll be like, or not a day, a week. I'll email them and I'll say, hey, you're doing so well. What's going on? How can I help? Let's keep it going. You know, and actually that interest is huge. People want that, that somebody cares if they left. And I think that's one of the things that online courses kind of lack sometimes is people think that they can just, you know, disappear and nobody will notice. There's no accountability. But if you can spend the time to be that accountability, people would actually, people actually respond to that really well. When you're talking about people dropping out, that's just watching the opens? Yeah, that's watching because the the course that I have set up through Teachable, it actually tracks your participation. Oh, gotcha. Okay. Through the course. Yeah. And so if an email course, it would be the opens. Exactly. And you'd say, hey, you know, you're doing so well, or I saw you execute, or have you been executing? So so being the guide in the back who actually cares about their progress totally can be a game changer for you. Mm-hmm. Anna, you mentioned earlier video, and I'm curious if you have any guidelines around, like, what kind of media is, like, how do you think about what kind of media is going to be most effective for a course when, when you're putting together a course or designing it? Well, I've done video and I have a YouTube channel as well. And I find that the minute you start uh, seeing a person's face is this is inherent in all of us. You start to trust them and you start to like them more. So the more you can get in front of people, even in the very beginning and, and talk, you don't have to talk for the whole thing, but just to introduce yourself and create that primal connection, I think that really resonates with people. Even if you start off your lessons with like a 30 second welcome, it creates, I think it creates a huge connection. So 
the voice is okay. The narrated pieces are okay. But I think if you can amp it up with video, people respond well to that and just intersperse it. It doesn't have to be high tech or anything, but YouTube works with a good mic. So I always suggest go to video because people resonate with video still and your face. Oh, that's that's really interesting. Yeah. I have a friend, John Sanmez. I think he's been on the show, but anyway, he does just daily videos on YouTube, and uh-huh. uh, he gets a, a ton of traffic coming to his website, where then he is able to sell them courses. And I, yeah. I find I find it very interesting that yeah, people respond to that, and it's funny too because for audio podcasts, I mean, you can get thousands and thousands of people listening every week, and for yeah. video, people have to be in front of a device that will play it and so yeah. a lot of people you, you don't usually see the audience size match between video and audio usually audio has a much larger audience but the video yeah. i've been seeing has a has a different engagement level that is kind of insane like have you listened to the joe rogan podcast no okay so joe rogan's a comedian and he's been podcasting for years but he he runs his podcast also um on youtube he does it all recorded i now go to youtube because I want to watch him talk mm-hmm. with the other people. And I just, I find it so much more engaging. So, and he has millions of views on YouTube when he posts those, those podcasts, which is crazy because it's not like he's pretty or anything, you know? So, <laughs> so if I am doing a video course, cause I've seen video courses where it's like, Hey, look, here are my slides. Uh, oh God. Can I show my face. Oh. <laughs> or, uh, yeah. Yes. Even during webinars, I find like, and I'm putting out webinars now and I've, I've done courses where like academic courses where people are, you know, they show up to like an online webinar classroom. The minute you add that little picture of you on the side, even if it's tiny, that's a human. And now if the slides are boring me, I want to look at your face because people are drawn to faces. You add a face anywhere, people are looking at that. That's what we're designed for. So the more faces and the more you give them that, that facial connection, people will respond better. People will remember better because your face is attached to something. So, and trust, it has a lot to do with trust. They trust you because you're real. Yeah. I, I mean, I'll just echo that. Cause when I do webinars, I got a lot of feedback from people saying, make sure to have, it's like, it's more important to have your face than to have the slides. So I always make sure yeah. to have like, uh, some, somehow have, uh, my face there. And when I do, um, uh, what are they called? Um, you know, screen screencasts. <laughs> yeah, screen class, you know, those things that everyone yeah. knows what they're called. In any event, um, when I do those, I always make sure to have like the video of my face there. And I've definitely gotten feedback from people saying that, that adds a lot. Yeah. Even if like, I mean, I have this thing where uh, I have these, this pair of eyes glued to beside my camera. <laughs> so it's like I'm making, a, but it helps, right? Because you always forget that people are <laughs> that looking at awesome. you. That's so funny. <laughs> Love that it's idea. From my old my old school webinar days, so it, it makes a difference because then all of a sudden you're like the minute you make that eye contact. Whew, seriously, like any meeting that I've ever ran with large faculty, I bring them on. I turn on the Skype and I turn on the video. I am the most persuasive person in that room. So if you're running a webinar and your face is not on there, you're missing out because you can be now the most persuasive person in that room. Nice. I actually am going to preempt a pick that you just reminded me that I like. It's called Heads Up, and it's an application okay. for the Mac that actually allows you to put a video from your webcam anywhere on mm-hmm. your screen. And uh, it'll float in front of things like, for example, your slides when you full screen your slides. And so I've actually had remote conference 
speakers ask how to do that. And yeah, this works really well. You tell it where to stick it. You tell it um, to keep it in front and it works really well. So love that. Thank you. And it's in the Mac app store. So here's a question, Anna, what, t- what tips do you have for doing that testing or that, you know, making sure people can apply what they've learned? Cause I, I do feel like some people get excited about the idea of a course and they're like, I'm just going to copy paste this book and call it a course and yeah. charge more for it. Like, how do you <laughs> move beyond that into the world of application? <laughs> totally. Um, that's a great question. Actually, I mean, anybody who's doing an email course right now and asking questions, uh, I feel like you're already doing a lot of testing because you're figuring out what problems people have. And you obviously, um, through helping others or talking to other entrepreneurs or freelancers, you see common mistakes that people make and they're perfectly avoidable. But Sometimes people have to make those mistakes on their own to perceive them as mistakes, right? Because you're trying to give advice when people don't see don't see the value in it yet because they haven't suffered enough. <laughs> right? <laughs> I mean, I hope you agree. <laughs> so um, what I would say is that that testing piece comes from asking questions. And you can ask questions. Uh, I feel like I used to ask questions in, in public platforms like, LinkedIn, there's a lot of discussion groups, but nobody's really, nobody's really comfortable saying when they don't know something, especially publicly. Like when I say, what are your biggest challenges? Or, you know, nobody wants to say what they are. Nobody wants to say that they don't know, um, especially when your name is attached to it. So email, I feel is great because it is personal, especially people like you, they'll start talking to you. They'll start telling you more than you want to know. And trust me, it's happened. (laughs) <laughs> also do a whole career path saying, what do, should I do next? <laughs> Which is great because you're like, ah, I've got a great course I could design for you. <laughs> so, um, but asking those questions via email. And then I think also the, where you've struggled, like if you could say, I had this big challenge and what do I wish I had in place uh, to help me? And then say, I wish, you know, whatever that resource that you've come up with is, whatever this guide is, put it out there and see, have a couple of people actually run through your course or run through your application process and give you feedback. I feel you need to gain that momentum first before you start sending it out to students. I had 10 beta testers in my first course go through the whole thing and they gave me wicked feedback. They were just saying, you know, this is great, but instead of going 20% application, 80% theory, you should reverse that. And here's, you know, I want it amped up to be more application heavy than theory heavy because I can find the theory on on the interwebs. And I'm like, you're right. <laughs> I'm not inventing the wheel here. So my special gift is helping you apply, not helping you find it good info. I don't know if that answered your question, Philip. <laughs> I don't know. That was great. I was going to add on that. I am thinking now like to... My experience of reading business books, which I know is not a course, but when I read a business book, I am infuriated most of the time that it's usually a fairly straightforward, simple idea that's been padded out with all this stuff. I think it's because publishers want a certain length for business books. Oh, God, yeah. And so, you know, what do they have? Story, you know, all these stories. And and I'm a big believer in stories as a vehicle for teaching and uh, inspiring and changing behavior and so it's not that I'm against stories. It's just, I don't know. I mean, this is not really a question. This is just me like, how how does this relate to those business books that I hate? 
are, are there ways to help people apply, like specific ways to help people apply information? Like what, what did you learn when that when those, those people gave you the feedback to invert the amount of application and theory? What did you do different? I guess that's, that, that might be an interesting question. Well, people don't know what they don't know, right? We know this, but we're like, okay, that's just becoming a cliche when we start saying that. But instead of thinking, let's give them all the info and then have them try it, have them try it and then see what happens. Yeah. Like, do this. And the minute, there's two things that happen there. Some people figure out they don't know something and then they need to find out how to do that and either seek the information out or seek the advice or they know it. And they're like, yeah, great. Give me the next lesson. Cause I'm ready, which is awesome because then people aren't going through things that they already know. They may already be advanced or they're scared to execute on. And then for the others, now they know they don't know. So it, it puts them in that position of wanting to learn because all of a sudden they've perceived the gap they didn't even know they had. Yeah. When talking to people about, or when teaching people about positioning, I've, I've often thought that the first thing I should do is assign people the assignment of building a mm -hmm. list of like 10 or 50 like perfect ideal clients and you know 80 percent of people are going to completely fail at doing that because they have no idea who those perfect clients are yeah and my, oh, yeah. my concern was always that people would be like well, this sucks screw you philip i'm out of here <laughs> like they, they would just kind of <laughs> give up and it would be a, a failure that happened at the wrong time but it sounds like you're saying that can also be a motivator. It definitely can. Oh, for sure. And and even if even if half of them leave, I mean, they'll be doing that on their own anyways without you, right? So might as well do it with you there to be there to pick them back up after they've mm -hmm. failed miserably, right? So that's yeah. I think you should just say say listen, I know you're not going to get value out of this if I just tell you what to do. You have to see where your gaps are. And we do that by having you do something really difficult. And I'm here to help, but that works. And that's how people learn. So the, you know, most of us are already doing that, those positioning mistakes anyways, but we can't even reflect on them because we're so deep in it. We don't have a, a mentor to be, to look on, on that from the bigger perspective and then just say, here's where you, what, you know, what you need to tweak. So, right. yeah. yeah. I have found that asking provocative questions is the key to creating the realization. So the, the trick, though, I think, is to not leave them hanging too long. So, oh, yeah, right? Yeah. So in that example, like, Philip, if you said, okay, you know, make a list of 50 ideal clients, I'll see you next week, <laughs> completely lose them all. <laughs> but if you, if you just said, it, you know, <clears throat> if you had 30 seconds to identify as many ideal clients as you could, what, what would be on that list? Like, go ahead and try to do that right now. Mm -hmm. And just get just like, and they'll just immediately lock up and be like, it's hard. Right. You know, and then, and then you say, okay, here's some techniques that, you know, so you gave them the, the pain, like they get the realization, like, oh, wow, I wouldn't even know where to start, you know, but if you just leave it hanging too long and then just like, just totally shut off. Or make them, make them suffer a little and have them actually, one of the things that works with uh, changing people's minds is like, you know, if, if, um, if I ask you a, a question and you think you know the answer to that question, but you don't actually do anything about it, you just like let it simmer in your head. And then I tell you the answer and you're like, oh yeah, yeah, I would, I would have come up with that. <laughs> we have this yeah. terrible memory about what we actually think we know. So I would from, uh, the, the best way to do this is to actually have them commit to something. So that exercise that you just said, 
take it a bit further and actually have them commit and say, okay, write down five. And even if I, if, even if it takes you a day, let's say five. And then the next time we talk, I ask you how you chose those five. Why was it hard? And all those other things that positioning gurus do, uh, the rest of us don't. And so make them commit to it. And then after the exercise, have them rewrite the list again and then compare it to the first list and say, what changed? What was different? What's better? What's more comfortable? That's yeah, I totally agree. Mm-hmm. Totally agree. Um, in fact, for my sales page for coaching, I, I insist that people take out a pencil and do an exercise in the middle of the page. <laughs> That's, it's the minute you commit, you can't go back and say, oh, I, I, yeah, I totally thought that. I knew that. <laughs> no, you didn't. <laughs> That's <laughs> it's a good true. lesson. It's a good lesson. Uh, now I know what the, the headline uniqueness can be for, for this course that I'm building, um, which is the, the position course that makes you suffer the most, more than any other. <laughs> <laughs> Mistress <I> like Morgan. <laughs> Thank you. May that I have would... another, please? Yes. <laughs> I, I'm wondering, this is a question sort of a cross between Anna and Philip. So, I mean, I do, I do a lot of training. And I found that the in-person training gets better, surprise, surprise, as I focus it more. That instead of trying to do everything and anything in an in-person course, I, you know, squeeze it down to sort of every year, I tell people even, I put in less content and more exercises and people come out happier. So an online course is a little different because it's something that people are going to come to and they're not going to interact with me unless I'm doing amazing things like you described and reaching out to them and making sure they're happy and so forth. So my gut instinct is that instead of trying to do a one big be-all and end-all course and charge a lot for it, it's better to do many smaller courses and charge a medium amount, which is sort of better for me because I'll probably make more and better for them because they can find the course that's most appropriate for them. Is is that instinct on target at all? I would 1000% agree. Yes. Like even with the course that I'm running, the online course I'm running now, I find people already self-select. And there's topics that they're more interested in than than others, but they're getting all this noise and excess stuff. So if I could just, next step, unbundle um, the the course into specific, actionable little nuggets of application, I'd probably make more money because people would actually say, oh, I actually just need this. This is a nice small chunk. I can afford it. Let's go with it. If I like the rest, I'll, I'll buy the rest. But right now I need this. So it's, it's a smaller uh, gate to entry. And, if, and also if they like it, they'll probably go for the rest if they like what you're saying. Mm-hmm. So there's lots of benefits to going that way. Kind of decreases yeah, but, the risk for everyone involved yeah. as long as the chunk isn't too small to be effective. So that, mm-hmm. I, would, I would agree that that's definitely a way to go. Well, and it's interesting from my perspective too, because the course that I really am working on is the how to get a job in programming and it's aimed mostly at new programmers and yeah there are definite sections of the course that could be broken out into their own course so for example the the main crux is you know don't send your resume around all over the place but actually you know do targeted job search where you're looking at companies and then finding ways to get noticed by them and I could put all of that into one course, and then I could put, and here's how you get noticed at the users group meetings in one course, and here's how to get noticed in these other ways in each of their own courses. And then the people who are like, you know what, I am just not the person who's going to write a blog and get noticed that way, 
but I'm comfortable getting up in front of a small group of people and doing a presentation. Well, there you go. Mm -hmm. They can pick and choose the ones that they want and go with the strategies they're most comfortable with. Yeah, totally. And then I don't like to sell a 50 stage course that tells them how to do it all. (laughs) Yes. And, and the other thing is I know that people, you know, you mentioned the, the live course and how the live course gets better results because you focus so much on the application. I mean, you really do have to consider that when you're doing the, uh, the online courses that all of a sudden you don't have the momentum of the group and the, mo- the enthusiasm of the presenter and the facilitator. You have you and a computer and that's different. That takes a different level of commitment and a different level of motivation and also a different design. Um, you can't, you can't move a live and people have tried. You can't move just a live session <laughs> to just um, on the computer and say, oh, it's going to work the same way. Sometimes it's better because you rethink it and you rethink of all those activities and interactions in a one-on-one way. How would I do this if I was just with one person talking to one person versus I have the you know, 15 people to leverage who are going to brainstorm together. And if one gets stuck, there's five more people that are going to come up with an idea. So this person isn't stuck. So that's a different dynamic. Yeah, you have to accommodate for that online. I've also seen people do kind of a hybrid where essentially there are guided uh, sessions and then there are also the live sessions that are, you watch the, the pre-recorded stuff. Do you have any questions? Can I help you move ahead with anything and things like that? Do you, do you find that those are then, you know, sometimes more effective than doing it all live or all recorded? Yeah, they're actually more successful. I feel they're more successful, not not even I feel, they are more successful than the live sessions because you can space them over time. So you can give people time to apply. You don't have to jam it all in like one day because everybody's coming down. So you can still maintain that idea of, hey, we have groups. These guys can talk to each other if they want to. You created cohorts. And then the other thing that you're doing, which you can't do in a live class, is not everybody's ready to learn that day. And you're expecting them all to be on, bushy-tailed, bright-eyed, ready to consume and participate. Some people need time to think, time to read, and maybe they had something bad happen, right? So this gives them a chance to consume all that information and think through it at their own pace. And then when they come and get together, there's more of a propensity of them to actually be ready for it. I'm dying to ask some tactical questions that are probably maybe maybe going to come up in the picks. So if so, then we can just wait for that. But I'm curious if you've got suggestions for different sorts of tools that you think would be good for people just trying to get started with this, whether it's an email tool or an online course, you know, like a, a full-blown video type of thing or an LMS or any of those things that you could perhaps share? Yeah. And I actually wasn't going to share any technical things. I'm glad you're asking because I was going to share like my favorite games that I think people should play. So it was, it was totally <laughs> no. not related. Well, I've heard your picks and your, your guys' picks are usually like, I like this app because it's, uh, it's fun or I like this app because it does this. And I was like, well, I'm going to pick games because I think people, adults should play more games. <laughs> um, yeah. So right now I've got this platform, the platform, and it's funny because it's kind of like a boom right now that's happening. There's the online course industry is just for for individuals, like for individuals to self-publish courses is just huge. And um, one of the ones that, um, well, I'm using Teachable uh, right now. And 
it's just, it's awesome because it's super simple interface, low uh, cognitive load to entry. And uh, it's awesome because it also tracks user con- user progress. You can set uh, you can set goals. You can release content based on time. You can release content based on whether somebody's moving really fast through it, so you can make it. Um, you know, skip. anyways, there's there's lots of options. I think in the beginning you should just start small, and um, but you it's actually really affordable to launch a course there, and they have a wicked community of other people who are also launching their own courses and you can see what works and what doesn't. I wouldn't say I agree with all of their advice uh, because I'm coming at it from uh, more of a learning adult theory perspective uh, and they're coming at it from a great content perspective, but that's something that I think you can tweak after you actually participate in courses that you enjoy and figure out why did I really enjoy that course and then say, how can I make some of that happen in mine? So yeah, teachable.com is a good one. And even email, like I'm really, we're using drip, <laughs> of course. And, um, and then just, I feel like you could even send out emails from your Google account to people on a small list. And then once they reply to you with either, you know, you ask them a question, give them three options saying, how would you, like, let's say you wanted to do a little bit of a test. How would you do this? And people reply to you. Well, you can reply right back to them, or you can actually have a consequence that you give them saying, this is your choice. This is what happens. What do you think of that consequence? So there's so much you can do even just with email alone, as long as you plan that out ahead of time. So low, low investment. Same with putting up a little video on YouTube and making it private. Very small investment to just take some thinking, some planning and testing. Perfect. Yeah, I've got to say that, I mean, I think like a lot of people who do the kind of work that that I do, that we do, the tools are, fr- they're freaking fun. And I think that's, you know, it's easy to get carried away with like, okay, I'm going to pick the perfect tool and, and evaluate the features of these five different, you know, learning platforms. But, you know, as Anna, as you've advocated for a sort of, starting small and keeping things really granular and small, I've started to think, wow, Drip would be a pretty good platform for delivering even a paid uh, course. Oh, yeah. Just because, right. you know, Jonathan mentioned how how confidential your feedback is going to feel. And because of that email thing, and, and you said the same thing, it just it seems like it's got a lot going for it to, to do it over email with something like Drip. I agree. And I mean, the platform is... To be to be able to see how how responsive people are that that data <laughs> that data is great and that's basically what you're paying for with all those other uh, courses or those those platforms is to get the data to see what people are doing and to deliver content to them in a certain uh, on a certain schedule. Well, you can do that with Drip, so why not use that? Go more personal, right? And then later we'll move you to Teachable. <laughs> <laughs> Are you getting an affiliate link for us? <laughs> yeah, right. I know I should. <laughs> well, I mean, I guess that's the question. Like, what what does Teachable do that something like a, a drip workflow could not do? I think the the difference would be that the workflow is only visible to you. Uh, and I guess you could work that into your your drip course is that people enjoy that idea of progress. So if you're releasing a course and you have like, you know, 10 lessons, 
and you're saying, oh, you're halfway there, uh, you've completed the first five. And that's what that Teachable does. It, it gives you a little bit of that momentum. There's a progress bar, which is kind of gamifying that process, saying, look, I've made this progress today and 78% complete. So um, it's almost like these little uh, elements also drive that um, engagement. So you might want to, in essence, look at something like a Teachable course and see what are the those little nuances that they use to motivate people extrinsically and maybe work them into the way you converse with people in your email course. Because those things work. They do. They're, they're tiny to a lot of people who aren't, uh, who are intrinsically motivated. They don't even matter anymore, but to get you started, uh, those visual reminders, uh, saying, Hey, you're go, go champ. You're on three of five. Yeah. Um, that makes a difference. <laughs> Interesting. It's sort of come up a couple of times, but I think it makes sense to explicitly say it. it I, I am sure when I go to do a course, which I will, that I'll benefit greatly from having taken a bunch of them. So I've, I've been involved in the creation of a number of them, and I've paid to be a participant in you know at least a dozen. And there are certain sort of little things that I found were subtle and surprising how powerful that they could be, you know, like, like the thing you just mentioned, you know, have just knowing where you are in this huge chunk of, of content helps you feel like you're not drowning in it and having different kinds of, you know, different kinds of courses I've taken have had different kinds of check-ins from the teacher or the person who created the course. And they're all, I've found that different ones are, are certainly lacking and, other ones that had maybe just a different take on it were much more compelling. Uh, so I think maybe taking taking a few of these, even if they're free ones, would be super interesting to get a feel for, kind of test drive what you like and what you would like in yours and maybe what you wouldn't like in yours. I 1000% agree. I feel like if you're if you haven't been a student lately, you're not going to make um, you're not going to take advantage of what what other people are already leveraging especially considering that most of us have experiences from the academic world, which is not designed to be engaging. It's designed to produce certificates. So, and most of the people who design those courses have nothing to, you know, they just care about research and grants. They don't care about teaching uh, or becoming great teachers. So, um, you got you. Well, you're not bitter. <laughs> <laughs> by, by the way, let, let me just let me just point out here that I have a PhD from an education school, and I agree a hundred percent. It's Gina. I I mean, I feel like if you're if somebody's going to be, you know, stuck with you for an hour every day for like three months, at least try and be good at what you do, right? <laughs> like care, care. That's all I want. I don't need you to be a rock star. Just care. Tell us how you really feel. (laughs) Fine, I quit. (laughs) Anyways, so, you know, you got got to have an enemy, right? There you go. (laughs) So, yeah. So, yeah, I agree. Be a student. And because if you don't know what's out there, you don't know what you can leverage. Um, Yeah. And and that's why I, I tell people to play games because... They have a bazillion <laughs> test users, people from all over the world say things that they like that team gets implements it. And then you see what people like, what people enjoy, what drives their engagement. And why can't you steal some of that and use it in your course that's going to get, you know, maybe a thousand reviews, right? <laughs> Smaller pool of feedback. 
So leverage things that you enjoy. No, we're all like There's creating outlines in our head. Yeah. Oh, good. <laughs> we're all creating course outlines in our head. <laughs> hey, you know what? Feel free to send me your course outline and I'll critique it. Seriously. Seriously. I'll ask oh. you some questions. <laughs> I'll ask you some provocative questions. <laughs> not at all. Not at all. It makes me better at what I do. But uh, yeah, I think because one of the things that people start doing is they start uh, outlines instead of starting with, how is somebody going to prove to me? That's the question. How is somebody going to prove to me that... Uh, they've got it. What am I going to be able to see them do that proves to me that they oh, that, that so I've taught them? That's that how it has so to start. Good. And it then you me, can do the outline. <laughs> it took me a second to understand what you meant there. Could you restate that? <laughs> Sorry. How is somebody going to prove to me that they've mastered this topic or this uh, skill? The student. How, yes. Yes. Yep. Your student. Totally. Yeah, and once so you decide great. what those, yeah, w- once you decide what those elements are, that's just for you. Nobody else needs to know that. And then once you decide, you deconstruct it down to they're going to be able to do this. They're going to, I'm going to be able to observe them do this. They're going to consistently be able to do this. Then you say, how, what are the things that they need to practice or do that will help them get there? And that's, and then your outline comes from that. Well, that's solid gold. Well, and it, well thank it, it, you. it goes back to what we say about freelancing all the time, right? Is that, you know, people aren't paying you to write code. They're paying you to solve a particular problem. In other words, they have an outcome that means success to them. And, yep. you know, we've talked a lot about asking the questions that get you to figure out what that is. But ultimately, yeah, I mean, what is that outcome? You know, how, how do you measure that success? And then if you build the course around that, then it makes a lot of sense that, uh, you'll be able to measure how successful you are in helping those people achieve the outcomes they want. I think this is absolutely true because, I mean, think of how many classes you've been in or courses or lectures or whatever, where it was clear that from the teacher's perspective, you're sitting there for an hour meant like demonstrated, I don't know if mastery is the right, they're like, like their goal was to have you get through an hour of their talking or a day of their talking or a semester of their talking. And if you got through it, fantastic, you're done, you get the certificate, you get the stamp <laughs> of approval. And clearly that is so far removed from, pe- from what people want. I mean, I was just, uh, I was just teaching a course, I guess it was last week or two weeks ago. And um, someone said to me, you realize like, this is a company where the company pays for people to go to courses. And they have courses running all the time. Someone said to me, you realize that in most courses, people just like stop coming after the first day <laughs> because basically they're like, why, why should I be sitting here? It's not giving me anything. I'm not getting any practical skills. Um, and the money isn't their own personal money. So what do they care? And so like part of a, an instructor's job is to get them excited, and engaged and give them a sense of accomplishment. Like, yeah, you're going to be able to do something interesting, practical, useful with this information. I love the fire. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> And it's true. It's true. And if you're repeating yourself more than once, record it. And then people can watch it or listen to it while they're walking their dog. And then you can get together for application session. So, of course, makes sense. Yeah, I should really do that. (laughs) (laughs) But send me your outline first. Send me your outline first. All right. Well, I'm going to push us toward picks. Okay. This has been really fun. And uh, yeah, if people want to know more or hire you or figure out, you know, what's wrong with uh, what they're doing, how do they find you? Well, they can go to my website. It's called elearnerengaged.com. 
And um, I have lots of fun resources there, including the course I talked about to get you started. All right. Well, um, let's go ahead and do the picks. Reuven, do you want to start us off with picks? So um, I, I've been, uh, I think I've mentioned already on the show that I started doing a, a weekly newsletter. And I, I cannot recommend highly enough doing that for your mailing list. It's great for me. I've gotten great feedback from people. Um, and one of the pieces of feedback I've gotten is a programming newsletter. It's like a new programming sort of tip or tidbit every every Monday. And a number of people who know that I'm into training and writing about it and helping them with it asked me to do a similar newsletter, but with training tips uh, every week. So by the time this podcast actually comes out, it should have started. I'll put the link in the show notes uh, where you can go to my website and it'll be there at learner.co.il. And basically the plan is to include all sorts of information about so for people doing training, typically in-person training, although I guess now that I've been convinced uh, that I should do online courses as well, maybe I'll sneak <laughs> some stuff in about that also. And the basic thing is going to be sort of split up between some practical tips, some pedagogical tips, and some business tips for how to sell training, market training, um, and sort of expand the training business. So uh, look for that. And uh, if you have questions or ideas about training, or things that you'd like me to include, uh, that sort of feedback is really useful, uh, even at this very beginning stage. So uh, look for it in an email box near you. Awesome. Jonathan, what are your picks? I've got two. The first is a fun kitchen gadget that I call a, a whizzy, <laughs> <laughs> which is a, a handheld little whizzy thing that it's kind of like a teeny weeny egg beater, electric egg beater that you can use to froth your coffee. And now that I've been working in my office, you know, I started maybe, I don't know, six months ago in an office. So I've been spending less time in coffee shops and, you know, I make my own crappy Keurig coffee in the office. So I can, I can use my little whizzy thing and get like a, just an unbelievably good, like latte cappuccino thing right here in the comfort of my big cube. So I highly recommend the IKEA, the, here's the actual name. It's not actually called the Wizzy thing. IKEA new cordless milk frother handheld foamer cappuccino latte espresso KG. It really rolls off the tongue. Wow. I'm sure there's a shorter Swedish word for that. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't have one of those cool Swedish yeah. names. It doesn't. No, it's a buck sixty. This thing is a dollar sixty. I'm gonna get a six pack of them in case it, like it breaks or something. Because if it does, I'm gonna be horribly disappointed. Oh, here, I thought you were going to give out presents. <laughs> oh, it's so great. Yeah, that's that's what this year. I'll send it to all the guests. <laughs> it creates like a coffee tornado in your mug. It's unbelievable. <laughs> and the other thing, I just want to remind people that uh, I did launch the Ditching Hourly podcast. Obviously, folks listening to this are into podcasts. So if you're interested in uh, stopping the habit of trading time for money, you can check out ditchinghourly.com. And I've got, uh, probably by the time you hear this, there'll be 10 episodes up there. So check that out. Nice. And that's, that's it for me. All right. Philip, what are your picks? Okay, now I have some picks. <laughs> There's this thing um, sometimes that marketers want to do. And it tends to require writing custom software. Unless you don't want to do that. And then you use this, my pick this week, or one of my two picks this week. It's called Deadline Funnel. Here's the thing that it enables you to do. It enables you to have a sale on some kind of digital product. Although I, I guess you could have other use cases like 
have some kind of time limited promotion for something that's not a digital product. But let's assume you're, we're talking digital products here. It lets you have a sale for a digital product where each person on your email list gets their own individualized deadline for for that promotion expiring. So depend, you know, it, it's keyed based on when somebody opts into an email list and then X amount of hours or days later, there's a deadline and you can remind them of that deadline. And as we all know, either from selling or being on the, the buyer side of things, one of the things that inspires action is deadlines. So uh, deadlinefunnel.com is about the ugliest, uh, most uh, poorly designed interface I've seen in a long time. Uh, but it gets the job done at a reasonable price. So I feel like I can recommend it as a pick. Second pick is a piece of software called Ringer for recording conversations where you record it locally so you don't uh, suffer the bandwidth uh, or you know, the sort of quality degradation that you get over Skype, which sometimes is fine. But when you're planning a podcast with a guy who lives in Turkey, um, as I am doing, uh, <laughs> Skype is not always the best choice. So something like Zencaster or uh, Ringer, which I've been experimenting with recently, is uh, is also I found that the quality is better with Ringer. The problem with Ringer is it doesn't do a, more than a two-way recording, but they're adding that feature soon. So I feel like I can give it a recommendation via my pick this week, ringer.com. That's it. Those are my picks for the week. All right. I'm going to throw a few picks out there myself. Um, I've been doing <laughs> some of this. Uh, I, I initially wanted to build my course as a series of webinars. I've kind of moved away from that idea. I'm doing the webinars anyway but it's kind of a different focus. Uh, I've been using Webinar Jam for that, and I think I've picked it on the show before, but I really like it. Um, it works over Google Hangouts, and it's pretty cool. And then um, I mentioned Heads Up, which is, like I said, just that uh, video. I think you can also get away with doing it with QuickTime, but don't quote me on that. And then finally, I have a really nice presentation clicker that I use for my presentations, and uh, I'll put a link to that in the show notes. Um, most of them are the same where they have the, the buttons to advance and go back and a laser pointer and stuff like that. And this is just one of those, but, uh, I don't know where my other one went. And so I had to buy a new one and I, I like it. I like the shape of it in my hand and I don't remember what brand it is. So check the show notes if you're looking for one of them. Anna, what are your picks? <laughs> so mine are totally not practical, but they're really are practical. Um, the first one is, um, it's called Firewatch, the game. And it's scenario-driven narrative uh, game, first-person game. Anyways, it's it's beautiful. It's And the reason I recommend it is I think that to be good at teaching, you have to be good at stories. And scenarios is what I help people design. I really, um, especially contextual scenarios, really help people learn and put things in perspective. And uh, one of the things I think we do as teachers is help people um, make decisions. Like we can't always simulate the environment, but we're like, if you're faced with these factors, eh, here's the thought process I want you to follow. Mm -hmm. And I think scenarios help you do that. So Firewatch, the game is awesome. Mm -hmm. um, the other one is called um, Papers, Please. This is a, <laughs> it's a game about being a uh, border patrol guard. And all you do all day is people come up in front of you. I know it's right. People come up in front of you and uh, you have to check if their passport and their visa is legit. 
Now, it sounds super boring, and that's what I think a lot of our topics we think are like, this is boring, this isn't exciting. But this person was able to create these levels and constraints around, you know, what kind of people you're going to let in, how, how are you going to evaluate these criteria to let this, uh, maybe this uh, prisoner in or something like that into our country. Anyways, they took something that's uber boring and repetitive and made it into something interesting, exciting, and something that you want to pursue. So I feel like Papers, Please is... Every teacher should look at it and say, this is a way to gamify boring and successfully. How can I take away some of these pieces and, you know, and do that? And maybe I can apply it to my own stuff that I think is boring, which really isn't. Yeah. And then my third one (laughs) is uh, a website that I visit uh, all the time. It's called Mark's Daily Apple, and it has everything to do with just food and eating like meat and more meat. So I'm sorry if I'm offending people who don't eat meat, but, and it's, you mentioned coffee. I don't know if you've heard of bulletproof coffee. That's what I use the Wizzy for. Ah, there you go. And the Wizzy (laughs) does enough, the Wizzy does enough for you because I have to, I have to use like this giant machine to get the froth. Telling Super you, <laughs> the thing is magic, magic. <laughs> For a dollar sixty, I, I, I just, I can't believe I spent like, you know, six hundred bucks on a blender, but whatever. <laughs> yeah, you so. don't have to clean it either. It's, it's the best. <laughs> Wait, you don't clean that thing? Well, it, not like a blender. It just takes two seconds. <laughs> just burn it in some water. Right. So, anyway, so that's where I go for like food inspiration and coffee inspiration. Yeah, those are my picks forever. <laughs> <laughs> nice. All right. Well, we'll go ahead and wrap the show up. Thank you for coming, Anna. Thank you for having me. This was really cool. And I do mean what I said. Send me your your outlines because I think I can help. I need all the help I can get. <laughs> all right. Well, we'll, uh, we'll call this one and we'll catch you all next week. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.